Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Philippa Lacey Brule and I want to extend a warm welcome to you. If you are new here, hi, thank you for joining. And if you are returning, thank you so much for your support. In this podcast, we explore all sorts of things that have gone on in British history. We look at people, we look at events, we look at outcomes and perhaps look at them from a different perspective than usual. If you would like to support me in this free podcast, this podcast will always remain free, but if you would like to support me, then you can head over to my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash British history. And you can choose the tier there that would suit you best, starting from any £3 a month just for your kind support. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hello everyone. Welcome. Thursday History Chat Live, where we're going to take a meander through history, see what comes up, talk about some of the anniversaries of history this week, just have a general chat about history. Welcome everyone. I can see familiar names joining, so welcome to you and also welcome if you're new here. Um, If you live British history and history in general, then you're definitely in the right place. So thank you for coming along. And thank you also if you didn't manage to catch it live and you're watching this on the playback or listening on the podcast. Good afternoon, everyone. I can see morning, afternoon, uh, evening. I know there's uh, people from all over the world who join us and uh, you're all at very different time zones. So thank you for spending your time with me. So I am streaming live on Instagram and on YouTube, as I do every Thursday at this time. It's one o'clock GMT. Um, But like I say, if you don't catch me live one week, that's fine. You can watch on the on the catch up. Hi, Anandita and Lisa watching on YouTube. I can see Renee, Katie, Doug. I can see lots of people joining on Instagram as well. So hi, welcome. So today we're going to talk about a few things, but you can always throw um, questions into the comments. If I can answer, I will. Um, Maybe you've seen something of interest in the news. And if I've seen it and I can uh, I can uh, comment on it, then I will. So today I wanted to we're going to we may as well we could could chat about the Rizzio murder. There was the anniversary of that yesterday. Um, And today is the anniversary of Henry VIII's first jousting accident in 1524. So I thought we'd talk about those couple of things. This week has also seen the uh, the anniversary of Queen Anne, the final Stuart Queen, coming to the throne. Um, now, I mentioned her last week because um, but I'll come back to why. And also, um, Lisa, who's watching on YouTube, you asked me a question about her statue in Blenheim. So we'll come back to that as well. Um, so and there's also just a couple of other things that I've noticed um, in the news and um also I'll let you know what's happening in visiting Tudor Britain and in History After Dark. So hi Jenna, hi my journalist. I can see everyone joining. Hi, thank you so much. Welcome. Um so I thought we'll, we'll kick off with talking about the Rizzio murder. Um because it's there's different accounts and I want to talk about 
sort of the differences and I mean not in any massive detail but and I'm interested to hear what you think as well um, but first before I do that I have a special shout out for two different two people Julia has joined the upper class tier of my Patreon and Cassie has joined the nobility tier so a, a big shout out to Julia and Cassidy uh, for joining Patreon today uh, all patrons have access to a look inside Acton Court. I spoke about Acton Court last week. It's a, um, it's not open to the public very often. In fact, it's only open for four weeks this year to the public. So I'm really happy to have been able to go there and film. So patrons, you will see, um, yeah, you will see uh, a tour of that. Um, anyone nobility tier and above gets the full shebang, upper class get a slightly shorter version. Um, Mad Jenner says, last night's History After Dark will be mentioned. It will be mentioned. It will be mentioned. If I don't, if I haven't mentioned it, if I just prod me. Um, I'll tell you what's hap what happened in History After Dark last night and I'll tell you about the History After Dark podcast, a slight change to that and also... History After Dark next week as well, because we, we, we happen to know what we're going to be talking about next week. Um, also, before I go on to the Rizzio murder, thank you to Leah and Ian who bought me a coffee. And if you want to support me in my work, um, then it's much appreciated. And you can either join my Patreon, which means you get lots of history lover benefits, or you can just simply buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Philippa which is, um, yeah, like I say, always, always appreciate. And thank you to everyone who has done that so far. Um, right, so the Rizzio murder, whether, uh, I don't know whether you all know who this is. So there's um, uh, a man called David Rizzio, or it's, uh, it, it's pronounced, oh, sorry, I presume it was pronounced Rizzio at the time, but it, it could be spelt in the Italian form, R-I-C-C-O. Um, in the, if you read about it now, it'll be R-I-double-Z-O. Like I say, presumably written down that way because of the way it was pronounced. And he was the, he was a private secretary to Mary Queen of Scots on for French matters. So presumably she had, she had different ones. But they were friends, it, it seems. And um, she uh, had, <laughs> he came to court originally as a musician uh, with the ambassador of uh, Savoy. No, the ambassador of, where was he from? can't remember. But he came with, um, I think it was the ambassador to Savoy. Uh, so he came as a musician and while uh, to the Scottish court. And he's a very good musician, very good singer. Apparently he sang lovely bass. And Mary... Uh, had a quartet without a bass. So I said there's three in this quartet and uh, needed a fourth, needed a fourth member. And so there was Rizzio. So he rises in, in, in uh, sorry, in favour. Um, so he's, he's got a job at the court and he rises in favour and influence. Now, of course, that sort of thing doesn't go unnoticed um, by, uh, by the people uh, in the court already. When Mary got back to Scotland, there was already tensions. She's a Catholic queen. She's been absent, and um, and 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 Scotland is already turning uh, to the Reformed faith. So it, there's already tensions. Now she uh, marries, as as you will remember. 
she she marries uh, Lord Darnley, Henry Stuart Lord Darnley. Uh, sorry, Genesis, I just have to say that last night's History After Dark was awesome and in perfect timing to help me avoid my ex-man-child. Oh, <laughs> glad to be of service. Um, yeah, I'll come back to talking about that because it was very good. We had a guest on with History After Dark and it's always really... Um, it's really really pleasant to have a guest on uh, and the tech allowed it last night last time we tried to have four people on at once it, it had a bit of a meltdown and chucked at least one of us off at any one time so but last night it worked so yeah so you've got Rizzio so he becomes um he becomes Mary's uh, private secretary for French uh, affairs in an already fragmented court Mary had married Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley, and he, sorry, Mary wouldn't grant him the crown matrimonial, which would effectively have made him king. <laughs> it was Rizzio crackers. <laughs> um, and uh, so, so he, and he was, I mean, he was an all round nasty piece of work. In fact, he, we should, he, he would be included in any History After Dark discussion on deceased gits. Um, and he, uh, he, so he was insanely jealous. And, you know, the film, Mary Queen of Scots, so I don't think, I don't think that relationship happened between Rizzio and Darnley at all. Um, but anyway, so they, 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 they Rizzio is not, uh, he might gain favour with the Queen, but he's making a lot of enemies at court, in the rest of the court. And um, effectively, it ends up in his murder. Now, the, the the murder happened at the Palace of Holyrood House. So Holyrood House um, was a, an abbey. And uh, yeah, I'll tell you about that later in a bit, my journalist. Um, and uh, and the, the, the palace had been, had been built next to it. So you've got the Palace of Holyrood House. And Mary was there. And you can still go to Mary's... Uh, bedchamber to, to her her apartments and they she was having dinner in a side room uh i wouldn't call it a chamber it's, it's small with with Rizzio and with a couple of her ladies in waiting um now this is where accounts start to ch change and well write-ups should i say and I'm, i haven't looked at primary sources i was trying to remind myself of um the story and there's loads of different stories anyway one says 80 men 80 armed men came now that seems a little bit over the top no <laughs> but either way a group of armed men came to I suppose arrest Rizzio they wanted him to go with him with them and um, he refuses they threaten him and he hides behind Mary now he was um it's one of the so he's stabbed multiple times he's stabbed i think 56 times is is his body has 56 or 57 wounds um and i suppose they each have a turn it, it it diffuses the responsibility for the murder the dagger left in rizzio in the corpse was darnley's dagger so darnley could not basically you know take any remove himself from any of the responsibility and my journalist are her bedchambers still relatively intact and unchanged 
They are intact. I couldn't tell you whether they are unchanged because I don't know how they were used in between her and you know the present day. Certainly, they've they've been they've been put back. It's been years since I've been up to um, to Edinburgh, so um, it, it, you know I want to go back and uh, and explore again. Well, there's plenty of places I still haven't been to at all. You know, when you kind of you, you split between do I want to go back somewhere or do I want to uh, uh, do I want to find uh, see somewhere new imagine as he hid behind a woman and then they say we are the weak agenda not only did he hide behind Mary Mary was six months pregnant she was six months pregnant she was threatened herself with a shotgun to her belly the baby was the future James the sixth of Scotland who became James the first of England also so yes, he hid behind it. Now again, um, one of the write-ups that I read says that he he may have sustained some of his stab wounds while still holding on to Mary, whilst being hid behind her, which means they just weren't even waiting, you know, the, the, <laughs> to, uh, to for anything. They were they were most definitely going to murder him, and he was unceremoniously dumped again. The accounts seem to differ or the write-up seem to differ between whether he was thrown down the private staircase, which these men were supposed to uh, have. I mean, there were no nobility. These were known people. Um, whether whether his body was thrown down the private staircase from, which basically, someone, some call it a secret staircase. It's not a bloody secret staircase. It was a staircase that led from the apartments below, which Darnley uh, lived in. Um, it's not secret private okay but it's not secret um whether he was dumped down there or whether he was dumped down the main staircase so again like i said two different things or one said he was, he was thrown out the window i'd never heard that one before um okay so here comes the bit that gripes me the most actually or most it's not about the story itself it's about afterwards so if you go to the Palace of Holyrood House now, like I say, it's been years since I've been there, so I can't quite remember the layout in my head, but I think there's an antechamber. And in there, there's a plaque on the wall, which says, it sort of commemorates his, his murder there. Um, and on the floor is, is a red stain. Okay, some of you may have heard me speak about this before. Now, if you read the website, for the Palace of Holyrood House, um, which comes under the, the Royal um, Collection, uh, Royal Trust, Royal Collection Trust? Say, yeah, I can't remember. The, 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 basically, the Queen still lives there, so they have a different um, a, a different charity running the, uh, the houses that the Queen still uses. Um, but they even talk, talk about the stain being the blood stain. Now, when I did visit the Palace of Holyrood House and I saw this red stain on the floor that was supposedly the blood of Rizzio. It it just didn't ring true. Can you think of anywhere else where we, we know there's there's been murders taking place where we can actually see such a vivid physical reminder of um of, of that. I, I don't remember anything else and you you might have an example. I might be wrong. It just didn't seem very likely. And I quizzed the room guide who was there. I asked her about it at the time. And the this is why I don't understand why the website still 
talks about this as a bloodstain. The floor is not the original floor, or the floor is not the floor that would have been there in the 16th century um, when, when Rizzio was murdered in, in 1566. So it's not the original floor. So it can't have the bloodstain on it. Um, neither is it in, at the bottom of any staircase. Or, or or outside a window where we're told his body was, you know, unceremoniously dumped. Um, and um, so it appears, so the, 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 like I say, I asked about it. And in Victorian times, there was a, a big uh, surge in really, I suppose it was the, the starts of tourism beyond pilgrimage, actual sort of for um, just days out reasons and housekeepers of, of big houses would um would show people around all sorts of all sorts of places including uh, the palace of holyrood house and not ones to uh, get in the way of a good uh, the truth get in the way of a good story red boot polish was rubbed onto the floor to recreate the idea of this being a blood stain that, that, that there was the blood of Rizzio that had stained the floor uh, for four, five, six, well, Victorian times, four, three, four centuries, um, and uh, and that it was still there. I mean, it just, it's, uh, yeah. So I don't know why on their website it even mentions it really, because um, I think the follow on history part of that would, um, is interesting. Um, Imagenesis, also like with all stab wounds, it would likely be a blood puddle and not an itty bitty stain. Oh no, they've got, well, from what I remember, they kind of went for it. <laughs> they, uh, they, they did make quite a bit of a stain on the floor. I suppose you're right. I mean, there's going to have been a lot of blood, um, but it, it's not, it, it's not. Uh, oh, Mike says, was it ox blood boot polish? That's, I don't know. You tell me. What was red boot polish in Victorian times stained with? I don't know. But so, and that, 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 that murder just incensed Mary. Yes, Jenna. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there would have been quite a lot of blood. You're right. I suppose I'm thinking that it's, the, 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 the attack was frenzied and it was in the antechamber off her bedchamber sorry in in this this small private room off the bedchamber he would have had to have been dragged well he would have been dragged out of this mini this mini chamber this this small room through her bedchamber and then into this uh antechamber i'm calling it so why only there then if that's where there's a stain because he wasn't his body wasn't supposed to have been dumped there i don't know i could have it wrong but 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 like i say i quizzed the um yes bobby says it would have been in more than one area yeah exactly um and ipsa 1959 reminds me of the canterbury ghost novel repainting the stains over and over oh it's 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 a it's um it's it's an aid to the story it, like Michael says here, it was good for tourism, and 
Uh, oh, it's, it is still good for tourism, I'm imagining is what he means. Why why would they still talk about the bloodstain? Yes, but my point is as well, though, that I, I the follow-on history is interesting. The rise in interest in, um, in history in the Victorian era, I find quite fascinating. People were able to spend a bit of time, and this is how they, you know... It, do a little bit of travelling, and this is how they how they spent their time looking around these kind of places. Lisa says, "Were any of these murderers punished?" I'm trying to remember the the rest of the story now. I mean, Mary was incensed, um, and she wrote to Elizabeth the first because so after this point, Mary was kept under house arrest, but she got access to Darnley and persuaded him that they should leave. Um, so, uh, I mean, he's just, he's just, I don't know how to describe him. Um, really one of the um, most despicable characters um, ever. And, uh, yeah. Well, of course, he came to a sticky end in Kirkfields in a mysterious, mysterious explosion while he was staying there. Mary didn't stay with him. Hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's the uh, the Rizzio murder. I'm trying to think about how... I don't think they were punished. I can't remember the rest of the story. I should have to have a look. Um, maybe someone else knows. But, yeah, so not very, uh, not very nice. But it is gruesome. I suppose that's why it's a... It's, 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 um, it's one of those stories that's quite captivating. This idea of a of a a queen, a pregnant queen, shielding um, her a friend who's then just savagely and brutally um, murdered. It's quite a imagination capturing, uh, yeah, event. Um, yeah, Genesis. I don't think they were punished either, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think. I think events then carried on at quite a pace because um, it's all part of of this 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 fraction uh, factions, sorry, and this this division that was happening already. Yeah, Renee says Renee says they weren't they weren't punished. I think we only have a couple of names after for like I said, for this one account says eighty people, but um, we know of a couple of names. But again, any of the write ups. Um, that I've read doesn't have a lot of names so uh it was obviously planned out you know it's going to be a lot of people they all took a um a go so it's like who are you gonna who are you gonna blame and Mary didn't have the she had she should have had the authority but it didn't seem to work that way did it um Lisa says, just as Amy Robsart's death could have put Elizabeth on the block if she'd married Dudley, could someone have murdered Darnley to somehow put Mary on the block sooner? Well, I mean, Mary's story is full of um, sort of it, well, intrigue, but but the, you know, she, she's not a she's not a an innocent um, bystander in anything. She had her agenda. Everyone, everyone did. Everyone did. Um, Marion says, would Mary have known some of them? Yes, yep, she would. Um, 
Michael says, I follow a page on Facebook called Church Monuments and one of the contributors was talking about how they had how they can be desecrated. One lady who'd been cleaning the effigy of a knight for years said it took waiting for the next bit. <laughs> I've been um you should mind me talking about effigies. I have been uh, researching Salisbury Cathedral, We're going to be talking about um Salisbury tomorrow on visiting Tudor Britain. Oh, Michael says so finishing that, um one lady who'd been cleaning the effigy of a knight for years said it took her ages to get the remaining paint off. Is that paint that should have stayed on if it was an effigy? Is it a painted effigy? She thought she'd be cleaning it. Huh, mad journalists. Well, nobility do not oftentimes get punished for their crimes, do they? A theme that continues, I would wager. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, Michael should remind him there talking about effigies. So tomorrow is visiting Tudor Britain and at four o'clock, I think we're going live on uh, Debs. So it's Tudor underscore times, Tudor dot times uh, on Instagram. And we're talking about Salisbury Cathedral. And it's just reminded me because one of the, um, the stories uh, around Salisbury is the moving, uh, I need to look this guy up, a guy called Wyatt in the 18th century. So not, not the, not, not a not a Tudor Wyatt, who just vandalised basically the cathedral. And one of the things he did, and this is why I need to look into it because it I don't, blows my mind, is he is is the effigies of of on on top of tombs were were moved and swapped, so they weren't on the correct tomb. I need to look into that more. I oh, I wish I'd have got it off the bookshelf. I got that from this amazing book that I've got that was published in 1912 and it is about England's cathedrals so it's got lots of uh, information about the cathedral but what, what I love um, is it it sets off um, it sets me off on sort of going down wormholes looking at other uh, history because he'll tell the the writer tells the story of the cathedral that it's looking at and I'm like I'm pretty sure that can't be true so it's uh but but it's one of those things you have to then go off and have a look but yeah so one of the things he was saying was that the that monuments have been moved and effigies have been swapped so I'm going to look into that more before the visiting Tudor Britain tomorrow uh Genesis during one of Janet's Tudor oh yeah um Uncle Best Speaker suggested that it was Mary Queen of Scots half-brother the Earl of Moray could have been the one to initiate Darnley's murder. Thing, it, it, the, mm, there's a lot of people who would have wanted him dead. Um, he was in the way. Um, yeah. Oh, yes. Look, remember who makes laws? <laughs> the people in charge make laws. Always have them. Um, cool. So that's Mary. Another um, so event that a lot of you will know about this because I know it's in your uh, sphere of of uh, interest, and that is the uh, the jousting accident of uh, Henry VIII in. So this is in fifteen twenty four. So it's the anniversary of that today, the tenth of March, fifteen twenty four, and. Henry gets knocked off his horse in a jousting accident and it's 
it could have been it's one of those what ifs it could have been a pivotal moment because if he'd have if he'd have died there were no he had no sons at the, at the time it's 1524 um and so him and Catherine have no surviving uh, uh sons and um so let me tell you, let me tell you about it apparently there was uh, the convention on the list so when you're jousting you know when you're jousting uh is you've got the the obviously the the whole whole armor um and you'd put your helmet on visor up as you got to get on the horse because once you've got the visor down you can't see very much at all apparently and you can't hear very much in the helmet anyway so there's a convention that your your visor comes down and you are handed the lance. When you're handed the lance, your opponent knows that you're ready to go, and 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 uh, and there you go. So they, so they start at each other. Um, Henry was jousting against Charles Brandon, and for some reason, um, he, Henry didn't put his visor down. So Charles Brandon. He's got his. He's been handed his. He's got his visor down, so he can't see that the king hasn't got his visor down. And but Henry run, Henry goes with his visor up. He shouldn't have really been handed his lance, and Charles Brandon's lance shatters, and a and it pushes the visor up further. So the, this this shattered uh, lance could. It, 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 they do shatter and if you um i've got a video on youtube and i've got a video of some of, of a joust um uh that was that was done at um where was it done near bromsgrove avoncroft um museum and i slowed it down so you could see you can see the the um the lance shattering if one of those splinters had been a little bit further south, then that would have been the end of Henry. It really shakes up Charles Brandon. He says, I am not jousting against the king again. Forget it. Henry goes on and jousts another five or six times uh, that day to prove that he's he's fine. I'm fine, everybody. But it must have shaken him up. Um, so you start to think, what what kind of impact did that actually have on Henry knowing knowing what we know of his future um his future Lisa says Henry the second of France died this way oh yes oh that rings a bell yes ah Jenna also says the same thank you Lisa and Jenna um Michael you should do an interview with Toby Capwell because he jousts okay cool that would be interesting That'd be very interesting because those kind of practicalities isn't it the fact that you you know they couldn't see or hear well how would you know that unless you tried you could guess i suppose but how would you know that unless you tried a helmet on and and had a go and this is like, like pra- this practical history that um that can put sort of pull the assumptions out of a story that we've repeated faithfully um anyway yeah. So, yeah, that would be really interesting. Thank you, Michael. I will see about getting in touch with him. I've not heard of him before, but that would be that would be fun. Um, and the other, <laughs> I think it, the anniversary was on this International Women's Day. I don't need a day. I don't know about you, but whatever. Um, 
uh, where Queen Anne, uh, she ascended to the throne. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, oh, Michael said, oh, okay, fine. Thank you, Michael. Let's just see about getting to Shin. Um, so, yeah, so Queen Anne comes to the throne. Um, uh, that was that was on the 8th of March, 1702. Now, of course, when she comes to the throne, she's, she's the Queen separately of England, Scotland, Wales, uh, an island because um, we're not you're not united as a united kingdom of great britain until until um later until 1714 1714 um marion says what would have happened to charles brandon had he died i don't think anything um really uh, maybe shamed but i, I don't I don't, I don't, I mean, it's jousting. It's, um, you know, it's their, their foe battles. Uh, and it would have been clear, possibly the guy who handed in the lance might have been in more trouble. I don't know actually what happened to him. Does anybody know what happened to the guy who handed Henry VIII the lance? Because that's really the key. He shouldn't have been handed the lance. Um, he wasn't ready. Um, so that wasn't, that wasn't clever. And that's what set, you know, as far as Brandon was concerned, King was ready to go. So he, he went. Um, so, yeah, so there's, there's two anniversaries this week. The, the murder of Rizzio in front of Mary, Queen of Scots, and, uh, and Henry VIII nearly dies in a jousting accident in, uh, in 15, um, what did I say, 1524. Of course, he has another one in, uh, in 1536. Uh, um, Mad is probably beheaded. I don't, yeah, what Charles or the guy with the lance? The guy with the guy who handed him the lance. Oh, yeah, I don't know. That's an interesting thought. Um, before I, well, no, I'm just going to quickly mention Anne because I wasn't going to go into it in any detail. It was just to mention um, because uh, I, I think it's interesting, and I, I did promise I was going to do a series on the transfer of power between one monarch to the next. Um, <laughs> um, Doug says they'd have called him the King Slayer. <laughs> Mate, we might have done in retrospect. No, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have really known that he was going to be like that, would we? If he'd have died in fifteen twenty four. Oh, Lisa says raising the visor may be the origin of saluting. Oh, I see. Um. The guy who gave the lance. Oh yeah, yeah. The guy who gave the lance prematurely. Yeah, maybe he was just dispatched. Not sure. So, uh, yeah. So when Queen. Sorry. So yes, I was going to do this this series, and I may still do it. Um, of, of videos just talking about the transfer of power between, uh, yeah, each monarch to the next. I don't want to start with the Norman invasion, because that seems very lazy. Because before that is extremely pivotal interesting and anyone who's been watching any of the like latest dramas i say latest for to me because i've only just got into the last kingdom and if you don't watch that then um i suggest i suggest you do you can thank me later um you know it's extremely interesting period and like i say very pivotal it's when we, when england sort of became um one country for for William to come in and conquer it was when Christianity you know that that move from paganism to Christianity and um yeah shouldn't really be neglected but I'm I'm anyway so I was going to do that because 
The transfer of power is very, very rarely straightforward. Um, interestingly, something like um, the transfer of power between uh, Henry VII and Henry VIII is probably one of the smoothest. Um, and Henry VIII, I was going to say to Edward VI, yeah, was was smooth, and and we we get, but but most of the time it's it's an issue, it's a problem, it's a problem. Now with Anne, so Anne came to the throne, like I say, eighth of March, seventeen o two, and um, you know if you're looking at your ruler, ruler, I have two. Do you want to see them? Probably don't, but I'm going to show you anyway. Oh, someone at the door, I can go away. My ruler, ruler, and my ruler, ruler. Um, you know, she's oh yeah, then uh, you've got William and Mary, then you've got Anne, then you've got the Georges. It just doesn't, you know, doesn't sort of give you any indication of just how um, awkward the transfers of power were. But when Anne came to the throne, her her father had pre so her father James II, um, who had escaped to the continent, who was living in exile in France, he had died the previous year. And um, he had a son who'd been born in Britain, in, in London, in Hampton Court Palace, um, also called James. And um, it wasn't clear cut, or at least in, in the exiled court, it wasn't clear cut that Anne was going to take the throne back after her brother-in-law, William III, died. Um, and that she may have felt that blood was thicker than, um, than whatever. Uh, and that she would have let she would have invited him back to take the throne as James III. Obviously, we know that didn't happen. And when it came to talking about Anne's succession, um, instead of it going to, uh, I don't know whether James was still alive, but he had a son called Charles, Bonnie Prince Charlie. Um, he uh, that th th that line was totally because it was Catholic totally looked over and um and we get the the Hanoverians instead we get a king who doesn't even speak english and doesn't want to be here now the georgians are going to be the topic of next week's history after dark i can't i can't probably on this live stream tell you what i think of of them but i'm, I'm trying to think of a title for that room that doesn't begin with an f um, yeah, but anyway, so next week's History After Dark, 8.15 on Wednesday on history.after.dark on Instagram, we'll be talking about the Georgians. Funny lot. Funny, entertaining, but probably at the time, most perturbing to have, have, have in charge. So, um, yeah, sorry, anyway, the door has never been answered, which is good. Um. Has any oh have any of you seen about the exhibition the new Anne Boleyn exhibition? I'm just going to mention this quickly. The Anne uh, exhibition at Hever Castle, um, royally dysfunctional. Oh, Jenna, like it? I like it. Uh, Michael says I love the Georgian period. They certainly knew how to dress. <laughs> Got to give them that. Got to give them that. They did. They did know how to wig it up, didn't they? They really did. Um, hi, Chewing Gums. Don't worry. Uh, you can always go back and listen to the chat. Welcome. I'm glad you've, glad you've joined us. Um, 
anyway doesn't matter it's fine thank you um so yeah so join us join us next week for history after dark because we'll talk about the georgians that's part uh, actually that was me um deciding that i would really like to talk about them because i missed the uh discussion last week as you know because i wasn't very well talking about uh, bad romance and the georgians are perfect to be talking about that so i said can we do the georgians and the girl said yes um chewing gum says let's be honest people dressed better years ago i agree we talked about this last week didn't we um yeah it's um yeah what i just i feel like we need some kind of revival of hats or something you know we need to dress better um uh mad journalist history after dark dark earburn because i'm sure you don't want to be here chatting with us lot all day oh so last night's uh, mary says the edwardians they all dress better than us um that's no offense to anyone now but yeah you know i you wouldn't in 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 tudor edwardian georgian to be fair even 20 years ago you would not have seen someone down the supermarket in their slippers i'll leave that there uh so last night's history after dark we were joined by julian humphreys and if you want to watch the playback then um please head over to history.after.dark on instagram it's still there and he he's written a to z of toilets so we did we went there it was very funny very interesting though as well stories around uh, around toilets um he's extremely entertaining julian now um the podcast used to go live on a wednesday for history after dark it now go it will now go live every monday and it it is mainly previous episodes so if you've missed any or you want to relive them um and why not the poo stick yeah katie i can't what was that called oh that was so funny the x begins with an x doesn't it um Lisa says people dressed in their gym jams should be preventing from entering a shop. How are they? How do they not think? No, I won't leave the house looking like that. <laughs> what? Um, uh, Jenna says, oh, yes, I've always thought how much fun it would be to live in the 50s and have the opportunity to wear cocktail dresses and go to dinner. Yeah, I don't know. I just I, I feel like we've lost our way with fashion. Yeah, if you want to wear really nice clothes, you're going to have to be sort of um i don't know go back to a different uh, there used to be a um a lovely vintage shop uh in the town that i live i wish i'd have got more stuff but but the kicker is they were a lot smaller than we were or they were a lot smaller than i was anyway than i am um lisa has some neighbors like this i feel like there needs to be a public information sign or something like we've had all the social distancing ones just don't leave your house if you've got your slippers on in your pajamas um <laughs> chewing gums couldn't imagine henry VIII walking around in his onesie <laughs> uh, my journalist i'm a bit 20s 30s 60s bit of 70s bit of 80s mainly 40s are uh, 40s and 50s can't deal with that much excess fabric wigs bedazzling and arsenic yes yes the face powder the arsenic face powder the 50s are fabulous so you have red lipstick mascara 
Um, and I like, I, I just, I find the fashion so elegant because everything's covered and yet feminine. And the men dressed smart. Men, I want to see you in suits all the time. All the time. <laughs> I want to see you smart. I'm on a one-woman mission now to smarten up the world. <laughs> As she says, sat here in jeans and a t-shirt. Oh, well. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So it, it, there's very um, distinct fashion periods, isn't there? And then what's, what's, what's now? Like, we don't even have flares. I mean, people do wear flares, but that's borrowed. <laughs> that's like, what have we got? Anyway, I'm going off on one now. Um, I was going to look for the uh, the, the poo stick um, name. I can't remember what it is. I'll, I'll have a look. Um, we'll post it on History After Dark. It was very funny. But yeah, check that out. It was it was really um, interesting. Um, yeah, mad journalist. Men were so dapper. No jeans below the bum. Yeah, I don't want to see your pants. I don't want to see your pants. Uh, Marion, I love the Edwardsley in... Uh, I don't know what that word is, sorry, but not their bathing suits. Oh, yeah, the full-on <laughs> drown, the drown suits. <laughs> you can only swim if you're in a lot of uh, cloth, which isn't a great idea. Um, Michael, a well-dressed woman leaves more to the imagination. Well, indeed, keep some back, ladies. Keep some back. Keep your slippers inside as well, please. All right, how do we get onto that? Oh, actually, talking of dresses. So at this exhibition, I was going to say about at Hever Castle, it's about Anne Boleyn because there, there's a lot of things going on this year in the Anne Boleyn world, celebrating the 500-year anniversary of her um, appearing at court. Um, and uh, so Hever have got an exhibition on. It runs till October, which I'm very, very happy about because I have three tours going to Hever this year, one in May, one in July, one in September. So the exhibition will still be there for all the tour groups. So I'm really, uh, really happy about that. But there is a dress there, um, a reproduction of, uh, of a dress worn by Anne Boleyn. And it was commissioned, um, and I'm afraid I forget the lady's name who's, who's, who's commissioned the dress, but it was commissioned with Samantha Reese. And Samantha Reese is providing the dresses for uh, people. Basically, if you come on one of my tours, then I try and get in a day where you can dress as a Tudor. Um, and uh, and Samantha Reese uh, uh, supplies the dresses and and men's um, dress costume as well. Uh, and it's it's Samantha who's made this dress this uh, that's on display as part of the Anne Boleyn exhibition at Hoover Castle. So um, if you've seen a picture of that, perhaps on, on, on Instagram or whatever, then that's, that's Sam's dress, which is lovely. Um, so yes, can't wait. 10 weeks to go till we go on tour, which is gonna be fantastic. So what else do you wanna talk about? So we've talked about Anne-ish. I wasn't going to do a lot about Anne. Basically, I've got video. Got, I've got video. I've got a video on the jousting accident. I've got a video on Queen Anne coming to the throne. I've got a video on the Rizzio murder. All on YouTube. If you want to go and check those out, um, um, Rene likes Rene likes the frills and bow hats of the Georgian era. I get what you mean about the faff, though. I do understand what you mean about the faff. Um, yeah, 
yeah oh to let you know 15th which is next tuesday i have um it's a, a talk in situ at ludlow castle uh with um hi business history biz club how are you doing uh with matt lewis and originally it was a um a talk that went into patreon but when it goes over 12 months then and uh, some of the videos will be on general release uh this one with matt is one of those so next tuesday uh, matt lewis talking from ludlow castle about the history of ludlow castle um and I've based actually I've based this week's just for fun question on that video so um so you'll have to listen up uh in a moment as well because I'll tell you about that now I was going to say something about Queen Marion's asking um about Queen Anne's statue um so Queen Anne so if you have a look at my Instagram if you haven't seen it already I shared a picture yesterday of a statue of Queen Anne that stands in um, in the Long Gallery at Blenheim Palace. Now, Blenheim Palace is um, was built by the Duke and Duchess of Marlborough. Really, it was the Duchess Sarah Churchill who oversaw most of the building work, completed it after her husband's death, regardless of the fact that she didn't like it. She didn't really want it. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, so it had this uh, statue um commissioned of of Anne um because Sarah I'm trying to think when Sarah died now she outlived um her sort of contemporaries uh significantly but I don't know how Marion's asking do I know how long it took um for Sarah to have the statue of Queen Anne I don't know how long the statue took to create the thing with Sarah Churchill um now, actually, let me give you uh, something to go and listen to. I did an interview with Antonia Keeney, who is a social historian at Blenheim Palace, about Sarah Churchill, the Duchess of Marlborough. And one of the things she was saying was that, I mean, Sarah was an incredibly complex character. Um, I'll say that, or you could call her human, maybe, uh, in that she it, she could hold a grudge she could create a grudge and she saw things from her point of view and had difficulty by with, with seeing them from another point of view she fell out with queen anne obviously queen anne had bestowed on her a lot of favor a lot of money well between her and her husband um, the duke of marlborough titles um and that's where the dukedom comes from and the um but in life so but in life she was because she knew her before she was queen as well they they they, they sort of grew she was she, Anne had asked her to be um very honest with her not to change when when Anne became queen um not to treat her any differently not to speak to her any differently to tell her how it was well Sarah Churchill wasn't exactly someone who needed telling um, or giving permission, given permission to say things as she saw them, she um, she would definitely just go ahead and do that. She has uh, listened. If you listen to the interview with Antonia Keeney, what I'll do is um, on Insta. Um, sorry, on YouTube, you'll be able to find it straight after this. It's on my channel on Instagram. I'll put a link to it. Um, it's really insightful. Um, 
the 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 interview I did with Antonia about Sarah Churchill and the book I mean she wrote a book Sarah Churchill to her friends sort of the I can't remember the title of it but it was basically um a summary as she saw it of all the wrongs that had been done to her <laughs> it was just literally things that had happened just from Sarah's perspective and how how badly treated she'd been um she fell out with her daughter she fell out with Anne but but, but she she outlived them all and in death she revered their memories it's like all was pardoned and roast tinted glasses um so she would uh, so it's not a surprise that she would then um create a monument to Anne in the house that Anne provided the the land and the money to to, to build um Sarah Churchill is the one that in a in a temper tantrum, had the Palace of Woodstock completely wiped from the face of, uh, of of the earth, except for the stones used to build a bridge. Um, so, yeah, so she, have a look at that interview. I will give you a reason to do that now. Actually, let's do let's do this uh, this week's um, just for fun uh, question. Um, so, last week's question was based on the video I did about Rule Britannia and the the real story about Rule Britannia, the song, the rousing song that's supposed to be sang at the end of the proms that some people get very offended by now. Um, and that's why I think the, the story about how Rule Britannia came to be written is really interesting. So my question was, on what occasion was Rule Britannia first performed because it was not written as a patriotic song it was written as part of a um I always want to say musical because I always had music in it but I don't think it would have been referred to as a musical then but it would have been um it would have been uh, yeah, I'm going to call it a musical. Uh, and it was it was commissioned by Prince Frederick. Uh, Imagine says, let me just see if I can touch the screen without get, making everything go wrong. Yeah, she is an utter bandit. <laughs> Should have been stripped of everything and imprisoned for destroying historical site. Well, there'd have been a lot of people in prison as well, wouldn't there, for for doing that? That that's uh, yeah, that happened a lot. Um, History is good. Nothing wrong with crushing a few play clean says play yeah i always think of a play as um without the music but maybe 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 yeah i, I agree you're right um like a mamma mia type thing yeah yeah let's go with that um so uh michael says was it nelson's funeral it wasn't anyone <laughs> performance yes clue yes um uh, anyway, so if you have a look at that video, it's called, but but it was um, it was first performed. It was the finale to this performance, and it was a story based on um, on the legendary uh, uh, King um, Arthur, I think. And anyway, it was it was part of the whole politic g going on between father son separate courts that always seemed to happen in the Georgian period where the king had his, the Prince of Wales had his and being something like the, a patron of the arts 
was a way to distinguish yourself, but also get a get propaganda written, really. If you think about, you know, what does music and storytelling do? Is it rouses emotions? It rouses, it, 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 it gives people belief that they know the, the, the true story, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, but so it was adopted after this um, as, a, as a more patriotic song, but it was first performed at the third birthday party of Princess Augusta, who was Prince Frederick's daughter, and it was performed in an outdoor amphitheatre at Clevedon House in Buckinghamshire. So it's actually a private performance. Um, yeah, so there you go. So that was this week's, or last week's, um, sorry, Alfred. Alfred. Yeah, watch the video, I can't remember. <laughs> Oh, goodness me. Uh, so that was last week's Just For Fun question. This week's is based on the interview with Antonia because I, I, I'm trying to encourage you to, to have a listen to it. Um, it's on the podcast as well, so you can look it up um, and, and, have, and have a listen because it's. I think you'll find it really interesting. And this week's question, based on that interview with Antonia Keeney, is which member of the royal family... Did Sarah Churchill, Duchess of Marlborough, want her granddaughter, Lady Diana Spencer, to marry? So Sarah Churchill had a granddaughter called Lady Diana Spencer. Which member of the royal family did she want her to marry? Go watch afterwards. You'll enjoy the answer. You'll enjoy the answer, I'm sure. Um, what time are we on? 56 minutes. Woo! Doing well again. So if you, uh, let me remind you before we go, if you're a patron, then today you can have a look inside Acton Court. That has gone live. Um, and <laughs> um, uh, History Biscuit of Princess Anne. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Princess Anne wasn't alive by this point. Um. Queen Anne, Princess Anne, or just an Anne? Um, sorry, let me just have a look at some. Uh, Royal Britannia, the musical. I'd definitely go and see it. <laughs> Michael says, not Prince Charles, lol. Ooh. You're going to have to watch. You're going to have to watch, Michael. And you'll find out. Then you can tell me next week. Although next week I might be on location. If I am on location next week, then um, we won't be doing the just for fun question. Um, I'm still to decide what I'm doing next week. Uh, but if, yeah, if I'm on location, you'll have to, you'll have to wait till the week after or just well, once you watch the, uh, once you watch the, uh, video, you'll know. Um, oh, Perseverance 1501 has been at Hampton Court. I hope you've had a lovely day. Um, so you've made it, you've made it here. Um, she loves the just for fun questions. Good, I'm glad. I'm glad. Marion says, was it Prince Frederick or King George III? No. Well, no. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to let you, I'm going I'm to leave it because I think it's, um, I think it's a, a, a cool answer. From the US, well, welcome, Perseverance. I hope you're having um, a lovely time in the UK. Um, spring is starting to spring it's a little bit cool a little bit wet sometimes but you've come when all the blossom is out and all the daffodils and crocuses 
So I, this is my one of my favourite time. Well, the, in a couple of weeks, it's my favourite time of year when it's a little bit warm because I am a little bit nesh. Um, but uh, yeah, welcome. I hope you're having a fun time. Um, so remember on Tuesday to have a look out for Matt Lewis talking from Ludlow Castle. Again, I think you'll really enjoy that. Um, and um, patrons, go and have a look at Patreon dot com forward slash British history. It is um, uh, the the virtual tour of Acton Court today, which is which is fabulous. That was a stop on the progress of Henry, uh, summer progress of Henry VIII and Anne Boleyn in fifteen thirty five. So this is um, Sarah, uh, the Tudor travel guide, talks about this progress a lot. We've got the tour in September. I'm doing with Sarah. That's based on one of the legs of the progress, and. It was not only was it a happy time for Anne Boleyn, but it, it's also during this progress that Cromwell's Cromwell and his men are starting to go and have a little poke around the uh, the monasteries. Some of whom were at the monasteries and abbeys. Some of whom were, were hosting them, um, and their uh, their hospitality was rudely replied to. Uh, in the following years as we know so yeah so go and have a look at that I did a blog last week so everyone who's a patron has access to the blog where I explained uh, in succinct fashion but hopefully uh, because I was trying to make it clear how we came to be uh, how, how it came to be that the heir to the English and subsequently British throne is the Prince of Wales why would it be the Prince of Wales? So I've gone into that story in the blog. So if you're not a patron and you'd like to be, you do get lots of lots of benefits and it's at patreon.com forward slash British history. But if you just want to help me and support me in my work, you can just buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Philippa. Um, all, all, yeah, all the, it's all um, welcome. But I think, I think other than to tell you about well, just to remind you of the next few live events coming up, I will leave you to your day. So join me tomorrow, four o'clock. It's Visiting Tudor Britain, and we're talking about Salisbury Cathedral. And then on Wednesday, it's History After Dark, and we're talking about um, about the, the Georgians. Um, Rene, which video are you talking about? The video won't work. Let me know. Um, Yes, yeah, so thank you everyone. Have a great day. Um, and I will see you all really soon. All right, bye for now. Bye everyone.